This is the Academic Survival Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Chandra McDonald. Statistics show that approximately 40% of students drop out of college every year. In fact, nearly 30% drop out their first year. Well, I am on a mission to improve these stats. So, so how do you intentionally challenge those individuals? Well, now we're in an era where you're kind of doubling down profit-wise on the idea that you're a baller and you're worth millions of dollars and you're getting that money right now without even being a professional athlete. So why is the school part even, even necessary, right? That's Gene Boyd, Deputy Athletic Director at Arizona State University. He's joining me today on the Academic Survival Podcast, and I am so excited. Also joining me is Alonzo Jones, Associate Athletic Director for Championship Life, also at Arizona State University. Together, we have a great conversation about student-athletes, name, image, and likeness, and how Arizona State has created a holistic support system to help student-athletes manage the demands of both academics and sports. Jane and Alonzo's commitment to not only athletic success, but also to academic success, is leading to high retention rates and high graduation rates for these students. Join me as we talk all about student athletes. Welcome to the Academic Survival Podcast. Today I have with me live Jean Boyd, who is the Deputy Athletic Director for the Arizona State University. That's right. I also have with me Alonzo Jones, AJ, and he is the Associate Athletic Director for Championship Life at Arizona State. I'm sorry, at the Arizona State University. So welcome to Academic Survival. I'm so excited to have both of you here. Chandra, thank you for having us. We're glad yeah. to be here. Really excited. Yes. And Chandra, I'm pro- we'll probably go into it, but her and I have a very long history. We went to high school together. Yes. A wonderful experience then, and it's incredible to see what you've done uh, with your adult life, as I'm still trying to figure mine out. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. Yes, Gene was there when I officially got... Uh, at baptized, as they say, running the hurdles. So you're not a true hurdler unless you fall <laughs> during right. a race. And he was there when I when I officially got baptized <laughs> as a hurdler. Indeed, I saved my baptism for my very last race in high school, which unfortunately would have qualified me to go to the state meet. But oh. you know, we all have our highs and lows, and we learn from them. It's part yes. of why we're here. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so so let's get started here. So let's. I want, to, I want to know a little bit about your um, your journey in terms of how you ended up at Arizona State University in the positions that you're in and um, and and what you actually do there in those positions. AJ, I'll defer to you. Go ahead and start. Yeah, thank you so much, Chandra. Um, I'm a first-generation kid. My dad was a military guy, but he put, he put tremendous value on education, I think in part because what he was not able to accomplish simply for lack of the degree he was an enlisted guy, achieved the highest rank in the military, but you know realized that it wasn't his competency; it was the absence of a credential. So he put a lot of priority on education for me, 
And so um, it wasn't a matter of if I was going to go to college, it was a question of where. And so uh, I had some family members out in Arizona. Uh, We went and visited a few schools and um, we just happened to have some connections here. I was able to connect up with some mentors and some people who really looked out for me right away. And so ASU was kind of my destiny. And so I was an undergrad here uh, in 86 through 91. And then my first job was also at ASU in the admissions office representing, uh, you know, recruiting, you know, recruiting other first generation folks. And I had been in higher ed with the exception of five years in Texas, always at ASU. And then uh, I don't I don't I don't know Gene as long as you all know each other. But Gene and I go back probably 30 years or close to 30 years. And we'd always been sort of colleagues in the space of male uplift and development. And uh, about eight years ago, he invited me to join Sun Devil Athletics to, to play the life skills role. And I jumped at the opportunity. So ASU was a place for me coming of age culturally, intellectually. My social system is here. This is what I call home. And so it's it's an honor to have went here, but also to work here, trying to be relevant to the lives of, of people in front of us. Yes, yes. Outstanding, AJ. Thanks. Thank you, Chandra, for having us. Um, and, you know, it's, it's always interesting when you are connected with people uh, I'm looking in two boxes that I'm connected with both people for quite some time and the journey, right? The journey that we have, the pathway, uh, the things that we uh, encounter and overcome to be where we are today. Uh, but grew up in inner city, south of Los Angeles, uh, Compton, North Long Beach, ultimately Paramount. And uh, after graduating from Paramount High School, one of the things that we were talking about beforehand uh, didn't have any scholarship opportunities and went to community college, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pathway to con- of continuance of higher education for sure. Um, spent a year and a half at Cerritos College uh, in Norwalk, California, and then was blessed and fortunate enough to have multiple scholarship opportunities. So I got to kind of pick and choose what kind of environment I wanted to step into next and uh, had never really spent any time in Arizona at all. Um, and, you know, <laughs> to this day, people kind of go, what, you chose Arizona State over Cal Berkeley? And I did, <laughs> based off of a number of variables and factors. Uh, but like AJ said, it was a transformative life experience uh, where I came of age as a man, um, as an intellectual, if I dare call myself that, uh, as a practitioner, uh, you know, and as someone who, really wanted to use the idea that sport and education could could work together to advance people in life beyond beyond the game, beyond the game mm-hmm. of sport, beyond the context of sports, uh, into leadership roles and, you know, essentially in any type of capacity that someone might be interested in. And so uh, that's that's been that's been the life's work, you know, here at Arizona State. And also through a nonprofit organization that I was a co-founder of with a couple of uh, incredible colleagues called Scholar Baller. So mm-hmm. here we are today. Yes, yes, and so thankful that you're here. So my first question is: So I remember when um, when we were in high school, they had uh, lunchtime learners. Remember where basically if your grades were not well were not good then you know they didn't want you to get kicked off the team so they they put a, a system in place for you to to get your grades up 
And that system was lunchtime learners. And it was to me, I thought it was always a, a kind of an embarrassment to end up <laughs> to end up in lunchtime learners. Right. But uh, but it had, but it served a purpose. And I and I I, don't, I think I was probably there only 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 once. But I know that once students um, who are athletes, once they graduate from high school and they are um, going to they're going to uh, college on a scholarship or, or going maybe not on a scholarship, but basically going there to to um, to be an athlete. I want to know what kind of systems are there to support them to make sure that they don't fall through the cracks, because for them, you know, academically, right, if, if they are not performing, then they don't just lose that opportunity to get the education. You know, they're I mean, they're it's it's twofold, right? They're not on the team and they're losing their opportunity p potentially for for that education. So what kind of system do you have in place at Arizona State? at the Arizona State <laughs> um, to to make sure that students who who arrive can actually stay, thrive and graduate. Absolutely. And, and AJ and I will toggle back and forth in this piece because uh, there's a lot of interchangeable parts to how a university of this size and status and, you know, we're, we're at the highest level of college sport, uh, you know, it's loosely titled Power Five. Pac-12, uh, you know, we, we compete against schools such as Stanford, Cal Berkeley, UCLA, USC, although they have opted out and are going to the Big Ten here in, in about a year and a half. But an institution like this has a responsibility to create a program, uh, create tools and resources and a structured way by which student athletes can be onboarded and I'll hand back to AJ to talk a little bit about that onboarding process, but then also put into a structured system that, number one, evaluates who they are as a student. Mm. Um, so there's some there's a process by which and it's scientific. It's, it's been developed and designed with uh, practitioners and academics and psychologists to understand who the student is, you know, what their background is, what are the variables in their life history that has brought them to this point? and what are the so-called strengths and weaknesses, right? So that's kind of the starting point is understanding some, some of the unique things about each individual student athlete. And then based on that evaluation, there is uh, a structured approach for each individual student athlete as well, where there's structured time where they are, you know, that's designed in their schedule for study. There's structured time where they can work one-on-one -on -one with someone on uh, just their not only their uh, study skills, but also their time management skills, mm -hmm. right? When you're when you're balancing being a student and an athlete, and in some cases working, or think about the situations where someone might already be a parent, um, mm -hmm. it's a juggling act. And having you know time management skills, organizational skill development, and then the academic support, each individual situation we look at independently and then create a pathway forward you know where if you're a freshman you're probably going to have a minimum of eight hours of structure per week that you are accountable for so like if you're not there the alarm sounds off and the coaching <laughs> staff is communicated with literally like gene's not here you know and then you know now you're getting texts and phone calls and you know, if you if you're gone too long, someone to come find you, right? And that's the <laughs> awesome. that's the links that these athletic departments go to, whether you're on scholarship or not, uh, to ensure that you know that structure is firm from the from the beginning. AJ, talk a little bit about 
kind of the 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 accompanying onboarding process um, that happens as well. Cassandra, it's it's more than just academics, as as you know. There's you know your your psyche and your mindset, and we're we're, we're living in a new era of humanity. You know, post COVID, yes. post George Floyd, for for especially you know those of us who 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 are black and 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 or African American, however we identify. It looks and feels different, and the technology era as well has created some dynamics that are different from a mental and emotional standpoint for young people. So AJ, talk about how we speak to that, bringing them on. Yes, it's a great question. You know, if you were to look at institutional data sets and then look at at least our institution, we're fortunate to often have higher retention and ultimately quicker graduation rates for our student athletes. And it speaks directly to the level of support, which is also interesting that if you have communities of students who are not being retained and graduated at an institution, what models are doing it successfully? And athletic programs, because you have them from literally recruitment through graduation, uh, has found a, a sweet spot in terms of supporting uh, students across all uh, backgrounds and life circumstances. And so if you think about success, it's, it's, it's being supported, right? Mentor tutoring, but it's also being welcome, embraced, and oriented to what it means to be a student in, in this particular place. And so we have, we, we run three orientation programs over the course of a year to align with the cycle of starting both fall, spring, and summer. And in those orientations, a part of it is high fanfare, welcome activities, embrace, Sun Devil Way, those kinds of activities. But it's introducing them to the resources, to our value system as a department, but also the do's and don'ts of the environment. And it's sort of setting the stage as to what the expectations are, where the opportunities are for co-curricular experiences, which is the life skills side of the house, how they'll be supported, academic integrity, all the kinds of things that you need to understand being in a new place such as a, as a university as this. And we talk about coping dynamics for the freshmen. We'll do some tutoring workshops. We'll do some writing dynamics, listening skills, time management, those kind of things. And then we also realize that the collegiate experience is more than just sport in the classroom. So we have a host of co-curricular activities that we share with them that are for their own edification and benefit. You know, it could be around finances, social media rep representation, cultural communities, uh, celebrations, those kind of things, as well as a lot in the name, image, and likeness space, budgeting, taxes, uh, credit. And then we have a pretty aggressive career, uh, career readiness program, particularly for our upperclassmen. So within an intimate setting, you have roughly about 650 student athletes being supported you know, with a couple of hundred staff, but with a high concentration of academic support to ensure that they're not falling through the cracks. And we have the benefit of accountability factors, as Gene talked about. Yeah. So if you look at if you look at assessment, high support, high welcome, continuous uh, engagement, day to day monitoring uh, that has proven to be successful and something that, you know, it, it would take investment, but could be replicated across other departments, assuming they had a cohort capacity. To, to lock their arms around a group of students. Wow, that's awesome. I I like, and I, I noticed first when when Gene said it, I like that you that they're referred to as student athletes. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in high school, um, I thought of myself as an athlete, 
and obviously I was a student, but I like the in, intentionality of like, they're in this college space, but like, let's not forget why you're here. <laughs> mm-hmm. You are a student. <laughs> you can't just come and do the sports part, right? You can't just come mm-hmm. and be the athlete. You have to be a student athlete. And do they, are you finding that, that you are successfully transitioning the, the mindset to where they, you know, coming out of high school, I, I would imagine that many of them saw their identity mostly as athlete. So, you know, are you, are you successful in uh, transforming their mindset in terms of recognizing that, you know, this, this particular situation, you're, you're a student, but you're a student athlete. Sandra, this is, that's an ever evolving mm-hmm. proposition, if you will, for these institutions. Um, I intentionally identified that we're at a certain level of college athletics. And the reason that I did is the student athlete experience, the caliber of student athlete is Olympian in many mm-hmm. cases, uh, potential professional athlete in a lot of cases. And in that realm, in the era that college athletics is transforming into, Alonzo mentioned name, image, and likeness, the idea yeah. that you can profit. This is only, you know, it's less than two years old, this mm-hmm. legislation that allows you to profit off of your name on the back of your jersey, you know, your number, your image, a picture of you, you know, your likeness. um, That is even even more creating more complex dynamics around this identity association, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we think about um, the spaces that, you know, we all probably collectively grew up in, primarily minority. um, Sean, do you think about a lot of the let's just take the men, the African-American men that we went to high school with, you know, there's a book called Darwin's Athletes that says that in a lot of black communities for males, their three ways out or their three ways towards success would be athletics mm-hmm. or entertainment, <laughs> rapping or singing or acting, right? Entertainment or the dope game. Like, those are the three primarily identified ways intrinsically even in some of those communities. They don't see these other you know, options. They, they, they don't see a doctor in their household. They don't see a, a teacher per se in their home front. They go to a school where there's a teacher, right? So this over-identification with you know, being an athlete, for example, has always been something that we've had to work hard and intentionally especially amongst our black male student athletes to really kind of jar them and shake them through the door. Like, Hey man, the percentages of someone who actually goes on and does that is so minute that if you're not preparing to be something else, you're wasting time, money, energy, you know, and and maybe a better life for you and your family by not taking advantage of this. That's where this idea of being a scholar and a baller scholar baller started couple decades ago and then so so how do you intentionally challenge those individuals well now we're in an era where you're kind of doubling down profit wise on the idea that you're a baller and you're worth millions of dollars and you're getting that money right now without even being a professional athlete so why is the school part even even necessary right um aj just talk a little bit about the identity development piece um, it's interesting. I, I've never heard another person outside of AJ uh, use a certain language 
that 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 you're using Chandra in your work uh, that AJ uses all the time. So you can talk about newfound freedom as part of that, AJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, when you're working with the age set, you know, 18 years old, just to use a a starting point of co- traditional college age, you know, all you can do is preview, you know, what they're about to enter into and then repeatedly revisit it, right? Because they're walking into something, you know, we all at a youthful age have a sense of fearlessness and, you know, a sense of owning the moment and the now. And so for someone to talk about preparing for when you're 45 years old, there's a there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance. So we just constantly reference a duality, sort of owning the moment while simultaneously preparing for a future. And mm. so one of the one of the things we deal with in orientation is newfound freedoms under this uh, under this reality. Uh, they would have woke up in their parents' house in their familiarity of their home, and then they will go to college, and there will be a moment where they will say goodbye to their parents, and they'll close their door, and that audio, the click of the door, will be also uh, an announcement of newfound independence, right? Yeah, and so yeah. they went from high familiarity, like I always like to jokingly say, they walk up to the refrigerator and they say, hmm, what can I take out, right? Because it's been provided for them. But in the moment of moving on to their own, they then have to psychologically shift from what's in it to what do I need to put in it, right? It's a, right. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a it's a date of independence. So the day they leave their parents' house, it is a literal date of independence. And they're excited to be there. In the case of a student athlete, they have a certain level of fame, localized fame. And they're doing this literally with thousands of other 18-year-olds who are just that far away from having left their mama and daddy's house. Mm -hmm. And we then talk about the environment, right? Newfound freedom. You're excited to be there. Your age set is, uh, you know, it it has certain physicality to it, right? Certain things on its mind. And you're no longer under the observant, watchful eye of parents. And in the environment, as is consistent with any collegiate environment, is all the range of uh, alcohol, narcotics, substances, whatever the case may be. Sex is in the environment. We got to make decisions at midnight. And so we just candidly talk about the space, who they are in it, and how to manage it. And this is what we basically say. If you if you replicate habits and patterns that got you here, bring that with you. Decide what it is you don't want to bring from high school. Discard that and decide what you want to then add, right? Uh-huh. Replicate patterns and behaviors that got you here. Discard something that has no longer value to you. And what do you want to add? And then also simultaneously acknowledge the fact that you're coming from a high profile life. And now you're amongst a peer group who are anywhere from two to four years older than you. And you're going to go through an initial transition to where you were big time only a month ago, but now you're at the beginning of this thing. Some of them will come in and compete right away, but all we do is just foreshadow what they're going to experience and revisit. And then constantly echo the fact that you're going to be older than you are right now, which part of you is the guardian or the preparer for the 45-year-old Jew. And we acknowledge all the identities, giving them proper legitimacy in place, but we ask them to lead in a college environment, which is intellectual, to lead with their student self. Yes, that's so good. Would you add anything, Gene? No, but that's kind of getting into the matrix. If if you were to do a one-minute plug, or not a plug, but just an overview of how you help. And, and Chandra, this is really important because there, you know, what we know about human growth development and human development and even mind development, right? Brain development, frontal lobes not fully developed till you're about 25 years old. So the decision making mm-hmm. component 
of who you are isn't even fully ready to make good decisions at 18, 17 or whatever the case is. So, you know, there's impulse reaction to things you want to there's a sense of wanting to belong and be validated. Right. Which can Mm -hmm. often lead to poor decision making. Alonzo tries to frame a a matrix of decision making uh, based off of those realities that has been valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's just a focus in on what I call the warrior class, which is the age of 15 to 26, immediately starting after puberty, where you shift from adolescent mindset into a physically centered mindset, meaning your peer group is is perhaps your greatest reference point. It's no longer parents. Your reputation is hyper important to you. You're standing among groups. Your, your capacity to want to prove yourself is, is urgent in this age set. Uh, sex, physical acknowledgement is heavily on your mind, reputation, and um, violence is in your toolkit, right? Yeah. That's that's immediately from 15 to 26, followed by emotionalism, intellectualism, and then the last phase of human or psychological development, spirituality, because you realize you're going to transition. So the first thing we talk about is that physically you are in a, I mean, literally you're in your physical stage, but you're in an intellectual environment, right? So we talk about the incongruency there and we mm-hmm. talk about how to manage this. So then we break down identities and the identities are based upon your, your, your house party self, which is lit, your, your, your spot self, which is chill, your student <laughs> self, your, your classroom, which is student, your field pool sport, whatever, which is athlete and then job, which is employee. And we acknowledge that these are just five different identities all have legitimacy based upon where where you're at or who you are around. It's and then we walk it down, state of mind, formal, informal, what's your intent? The ideal is to put up many different identities and to say all of this can exist in harmony and, 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 and you can have balance, but which one ought to be, you know, sort of the overarching dominant leader. And we, we, we encourage them to let that person be student because student will have give balance and legitimacy to all the other identities versus what inherently happens, not because of deviance or problem thinking is consistent with the age set is the age set wants to, wants to maximize social opportunities, wants to maximize fun, wants to take risks, right? Wants to sort of be in the now kind of, which is perfectly fine yet they're in an intellectual environment that's preparing for a future yet to come. So we then take some time to dissect or to discuss the internal civil war that goes on in the age set between their social self and their student self. And so a lot of it is just naming it, right? Mm-hmm. And so and then and then and then asking if all these legit all these identities have legitimacy, does student have legitimacy? Right. It's just asking that profound question. And then you can walk that down in so many different ways. There's there's ways to talk about, you know, behavior that's represented by litness. Uh, we also talk about behavior that, that's sort of consistent with student. Uh, we talk about we acknowledge some of the, the hyper respect, particularly in black male circles that we put tied to that tied to that that warrior class so it's a it's a bouncing off tool to have more narrowed conversations across a number of subject matter but it's um it's just it's just acknowledging they're complex they're beautiful but they have to accelerate their maturity in the environment because there's so much so many eyes on them and so much at stake and so it's a way of uh having a now and future conversation simultaneously That's so good. That's so good because, you know, if you are not mindful of the specific situation that you're in, then the wrong self can show up. And Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned about um, 
warrior being it or, or fighting being it, being in that tool bag. You know, you mm -hmm. can be in a situation where, okay, you're at school, maybe it's a party at school, mm -hmm. and there's a possible confrontation at school. And it's like, okay, well now I I I I'm all three because this party is at school and mm -hmm. this conflict is approaching me in that school. But at the but the one thing that definitely holds true is the physical location, right? Your physical mm -hmm. location is mm -hmm. school. So mm -hmm. that student still needs to make the decision because that student um, shouldn't be reaching in and pull, you know pulling necessarily pulling out you know it's time to fight um, that mm -hmm. has consequences and and so forth yeah that is so right. good and it's and it's what I like about it is that that is a if they really grasp the fact that there's a situational identity if they really grasp that that is a, a framework that can take them really the rest of their the rest of their life you know how they how they show up um in different spaces i'm you know like like what well, I, I was listening to your your ted talk and like right now i'm a daughter i am mm -hmm. a I'm, I'm an employee mm -hmm. i am um a cousin like i have a lot of different roles mm -hmm. um but my mother now lives with me because mm -hmm. she's older and right. so I'm caretaker. And then for mm. me, it's that it's, you know, trying to balance the fact that I'm caretaker, but to her, I'm still daughter, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> and so there's that type of um, there's that type of balancing that needs to happen. So that's that so that framework is not just something that is uh, critical for them to understand. It's a it's a framework that they can literally take with them throughout their life and and try to figure out, okay, who's in the driver's mm -hmm. seat? Who's right. driving right now? Right. So good. So good. So um, yeah. can we talk a little bit about the, the more about the name, identity and likeness and, and perhaps like how are how are you balancing that as overseers of of these of these precious lives that, you know, could sometimes be larger than life potentially, and you're still trying to run a program. Like, can you can you talk a little bit about the impact? that is having um, on, on the student's ability to su be successful? I, I'll start with this. When you attach dollar figures to something, it increases in value, especially at the tender age that we're talking mm -hmm. about, right? 18 years old, like, you know, it's, it's it, it, this tangible monetary. So, so one of the things that has happened is the expectation that, college athletes at this level are walking into is that they're going to make money off their name, image of likeness and likeness, regardless if they do anything or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, mm -hmm. it's not like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this new opportunity to, to, to promote my artwork in a way that is attached to my name. I'm going to set up a little, you know, 501 C three or, or LLC or whatever the case is. They're just going like, where the money at? Like, you know, they, they want it to be handed. And if someone's very elite in the space, that is happening. Like mm -hmm. there's bidding happening for individuals based off of schools. We came across a website last week and, and, and this is illegal per the NCAA rules, but the website exists and people are participating that as a fan of a school, let's just say you're a USC fan, you can go in 
and see a, a guy, a young man or a woman for that sake, who is uh, being recruited by that school and you can put money into a pot that if they choose to go to that school, they get the money hmm. simply off of the choice what? right, of where they're going. Right. So like it, it, it pushes the recruiting agenda because if, if you get enough fans aware of the site, they start pouring in. And now instead of USC, they want to go to Tennessee because there's, you know, a hundred thousand dollars more dollars on the line like a signing bonus right essentially and, and decisions you know there's all kind of variations of this which are impacting decision making so you know you even have young people who how the name image like is affecting they're making decisions on going places that are not places that are a good fit for who they are mm. based off of the support that's provided and even the environment you know what I mean? You got people stepping into spaces where there aren't people that look like them and they know that they are not going to do well in that environment. But the money is is enticing them. So that's the unfortunate part of this name, image and likeness carousel is that, you know, the overemphasis on quick cash, quick money, yes. um, you know, versus really investing in yourself in an experience that's going to build you up to be able to, to be able to fish versus being able to have the fish given to you. That's one of the drawbacks and negatives of it. On the, on the flip side, there are components of this and student athlete amateurism and all. There are cases that are moving through the courts right now. NIL was you know brought on by a case. There, there was a case where a student was saying, hey, you guys give me awards for my athletic pursuit, but not for my academic pursuit if I do well. So there was an, it's called Austin case that uh, the, the, the plaintiff won a couple years ago. And so now student athletes can be incentivized to attend the programs that AJ and his colleagues put on, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, you know, uh, a, a certain amount of, of money, literally, that is, is, a, is, you know, is a good enticement. So he's seen, you know, his attendance at his events go up, you know, three, four hundred percent over the course of a year. Um, so that that's a positive piece. That's not NIL, but it's part of the new era of college athletics, something that came on line more recently. So these things are in some cases beneficial if it's done the right way, but also, you know, can can be detrimental in a lot of ways. Yeah, you have. um that that website that you're referring to you you literally are going to have students making decisions absent aj's framework right they don't they don't necessarily even have the tool yet they're just thinking about in some cases they're sitting in poverty right making a decision which in that situation sounds like the better situation it sounds like the better choice to be able to immediately alleviate some degree of pain sounds right. like a good choice, but um, in the long run, not necessarily the best choice for you. That's really good. Now, uh, you were saying something um, about incentivizing them to to attend these types of programs. Is, is this program only available to uh, ASU students or can athletes at other institutions, is, is there a way for them to at least I, I don't know. You speak to it. I, is is it offered to outside of ASU? Yeah, I'll, I'll address that. So it, it's it's completely voluntary by host institution. There's only limits on what what it can fund and the amount. And so 
it becomes a recruitment dynamic, right? So if ASU is 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 not offering it, and, and another institution is, we we know we're vulnerable to the families making the decision. To your point a little bit earlier, okay. and so it's optional to buy in. It's largely tied to you know does the institution have the budget or the capacity to fund it, right? And then you have discretion on whether or not you just exclusively award it for academic performance, or do you have some combination of co-curricular experiences coupled with academic performances? And then you have some 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 you can develop your own policy internally about you know, how do you distribute it, transfer students, those kind of things. So no, not every institution is doing it. Um, a, a good percentage are. Uh, it's, it's, it's relatively new and recent. Um, and some folks are just giving it away without any kind of criteria tied to it. Uh, other institutions such as ours, we're trying to tie it into uh, high academic performance and co-curricular engagement. Mm, that's good. So what you've seen over the years, what would you say is like the top three things that students struggle with. I shouldn't say students, but the student athlete. What are the what are the top three struggles coming in? I'll say one and then Gene can jump in. I, I would say I, I think it has something to do with what Gene alluded to earlier about, you know, you you at this level, you 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 psychologically and you're not delusioned, you're thinking about the pros. And so in many instances, certainly not all, there's an incongruency there's an incongruency that this is the pathway to the pro, to the pot- potential pro space, yet my interest is in the pro opportunity, no problem there, but yet I have this academic uh, reality that I must contend with. And as I always like to say, it's not that the student doesn't have the, the capacity to intellectually own the material. There's just an incongruency with what their immediate priority is. And so there, in some instances, there has to be some some due diligence, some some extended continuous conversation about just owning the academic experience as a way of continuing the journey. Uh, sometimes you're just managing that versus sort of leaning into the academic experience, gaining what you you need to gain from that while simultaneously uh, pursuing your your professional aspirations. So there's sometimes there's just a, a little bit of incongruency in the student athlete moniker. Yeah, Sandra, like a, like a lot of young people who are transitioning from teen and adolescence into young adulthood and then adulthood, um, the, the mental health piece right now, student, student athlete, non-student, you know, of the age group is just real. It's front and center. It's something that, you know, we're much more aware of as a society, right? Um, is it a chicken and egg? Is it because of how we've evolved with technology and the isolationism created by technology and the social media platforms and all. Then you go into COVID, which doubles down on all of that, right? And coming out of that, you know, is, is that it? Or, or are we talking about it so much now that everybody expects to be anxious and depressed? You know, like it's all working together to create that, you know, and, right. and the CDC had a report that they did some research in 21 so it was certainly in the in the you know COVID era, COVID time period, about isolationism, anxiety, depression, staggering numbers. Females, fifty-seven percent uh, during during the the, re- the research during the study said that they are you know s- significantly depressed and or anxious. Thirty um, percent contemplated or or attempted suicide. This is teenage mm-hmm. girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the male numbers were not as high, but 
certainly way up on a on a trend line um, and that has carried over into our space so the number one subject matter that our student athletes talk about is mental health and you know how can we support them better in that regard um, the days of you know hard coaching have had to be modified i mean if you're someone who just says do it because i said and i don't care how you feel or anything you're not gonna last as a coach anymore in this space seriously and we've seen people washing out and stepping out because they don't know how to you know bridge the gap there is definitely a gap generationally right now and you know resiliency and some other things doesn't mean anybody's better than the other than another it just means that we've got to figure out how to work together to support uh ourselves uh collectively as humanity um you know and through the collegiate space in particular which is supposed to be training us to be leaders Right. We, we, we have to figure out how to bridge that gap. And it's not young people, younger people's responsibility or college students responsibility versus the faculty or the staff. It's all of our responsibility. But that that mental health component uh, is, is, is front and center. And then the third one, I would say, is just which is a, a, a age old challenge is just balancing all the things on the plate, you know, mm-hmm maybe in even the undertone of this, you know, anxiety and, and so forth, like balancing time, balancing your attention. You know, you got you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You thought he or she was the one mm-hmm. and they were not the one at all. And everybody mm-hmm. else could see it, but you couldn't. But mm-hmm. now your heart broken. Right. You got to balance your emotions and still oh, stay and on task. All those kind let, of things. Let me tell you, like heartbreak in college is not easy as trying to study with all that emotion. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, yep, yep. So I read an article um, not long ago, and um, it was a mental health article for regarding college students. And one of the takeaways I got from that article was just the breakdown of the amount of time that, that we, um, that is happening between high school and college. And so, the statement that I took away from that article is um, the difference between a high school senior and a college freshman is three months. Mm-hmm. That's it, three months. And yet mm-hmm. we, we want to treat them as though they're adults and they've got it all together. And, and, and we're, we're now expecting you to make a quality life decisions in just three months, just three months prior you were in high school and nobody was expecting that of you. I would add a complexity to that, both in college life, but also in the student athlete experience, a lot more individuals are graduating early mm-hmm. and going to college early. That's certainly happening in the college student athlete experience. So now you got actually subtract months, right? <laughs> you, you're supposed to be in your senior high school year working towards graduation and the prom and all that. And now you started college. That's happening at a much higher level now. Um, and then you also have individuals who are, you know, going into summer bridge programs or bridge programs or things like that. But like that, that time in between is has, you know, dissipated for someone else. So it's even more amplified for someone like you're walking out of the door of a high school class right into a college classroom dormitory environment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's intensified by the independence factor, right? It's one thing to gain new experiences, but almost everything becomes rearranged, right? They they literally are physically in a in a in a, in a new place, both literally but also psychologically, 
from the absence of the parent. And they're also then contending with 18 being a so-called age of constitutional independence, right? Mm -hmm. And then depending on their financial resources, they're beginning to feel the pressure of economics. Um, so all of this is just collapsed, right? Within literally say three months later, right? Yeah. But it's it's the phenomena of the freshman year and an institution that can name these things, wrap around them, touch them often. It has greater success of that freshman or first year student being successful. Uh, That's the uniqueness of collegiate athletics, the level of touch we have versus a traditional non-student athlete, especially at larger institutions. You have to be highly intentional about supporting them in the transition. All right. Well, this has been such a good conversation. I'm so glad you you joined uh, me today. I am going to get ready to close this out, but I want to ask you, um, both of you, a final question, and that is, what gives you hope today in this space, in the in the student athlete space, and in the athletic programs that you're in? Uh, what gives you hope? I was hoping that was coming because we were talking about a lot of the challenges, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the the human species is dynamic. It's ever evolving, constantly growing. Um, you know, one thing we didn't talk about that's scary to a lot of people, but will be helpful for a lot of others is like the, the artificial intelligence mm. piece that's, that's evolving, you know, under our feet. Um, I, I think that the more that we can challenge ourselves to look at what's possible, to look at all the resources, like we've got unlimited resources right now, unlike any time on this planet in history. You know, if you take an optimistic viewpoint and think about all the things that we can do, what can we do together? What can we do even individually? if we have a positive mindset and you know embrace the moment that we're in versus you know be worried about all the things that that is going on around us right now how do you how do you get people to do that is a different question but i'm very hopeful that we have you know things at our disposal that we've never had in the history of man or womankind on this planet that with some instruction which is key with mm-hmm. some guidance, you know, with some framing can continue to create un, un, un previously perceived realities for us uh, in terms of what we can do together as a society, you know, in this country and in this world. And that's the other piece, you know, we we have access to people in other countries and and, and what what um, what their educational realities are and so forth. And so we can pair and partner with people as the adults or as, Mm -hmm. you know, the leaders in these spaces to create new opportunities for the young people that we aim to serve. So that that gives me a lot of hope. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gene and I both would share an optimism. Very, very well well said. I would say I'm, I'm hopeful because we are a current measurement of generational work that preceded us. And so we are we are we are further ahead as an athlete community, as cultural communities, uh on many different variables than than the ones our parents had to deal with. So I like to acknowledge the ancestors and the elders for a current time that we live in. Yeah. I'm also uh hopeful kind of going forward the level of student athlete activism 
who are rejecting historical norms of just dribble and play, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're leveraging their popularity, their, their sense of uh, uh, quasi-fame, and they're, they're, they're speaking to certain kind of commitments and ideals, and they're, they're, they're being a bit more um, emboldened, right? Historically, that had been narrowed to a few who were taking high risk. Now you have more with, with low risk, lower risk, and who are leveraging, you know, their, their athlete status in different kind of ways. And then I'm very hopeful is that you have um, athletes who are playing at a professional level who comparatively are in an economic reality that their predecessors were not in. And they're evolving their philanthropy beyond just foundations. Like and they're beginning to fund some things that might have some structural change. As I say this, completely not relevant to the show, maybe a professional athlete is listening in. I'm hopeful that they will give their money to something that no one knows about so that they can fund ideals absent external critique. To me, I'm hopeful that the student athlete, like Dick Gregory says, a, a community of people cannot be saved by entertainment and educate and, and, oh. and entertainers and athletes. I'm like, hmm, I understand that coming from oh. Dick Gregory's world, but if you take a person who's who feels a sense of connection to, to community and, and, and different kinds of moves, and they have resources that are potentially generational in their wealth ac ac acumen, and they have a kind of fortitude to fund think tanks and certain ideals without having to suffer pub public uh, scrutiny and cancelization. I'm hopeful, baby. I'm hopeful. Awesome. I love it. I love it. One of my one of my um, colleague of uh, colleague of mine. At one point, we're like, we should start a, a think tank. <laughs> so I, I love it. I love it. I love it. See, but 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 it's interesting there. That has been historically how things move, right? You, you hear this announcement or this new legislation, but it's been thought about and strategized for a long period of time. And whatever your core issue is, it typically is preceded by thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But then also by financing historically, we've not been able to finance ideals. We can think about them and talk about them, but we've not, been, we've, we've not been able to move in a certain kind of quietness that's necessary for projected success. We've always had to do it in public spaces, and as soon as you make something public in an announcement, it's, it's, it's as good mm -hmm. as dead in the water. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that concludes our episode of Academic Survival. Thank you so much to... AJ and JB <laughs> for, uh, for joining me and hopefully I'll be able to talk to you again. Shana, thank you so much, Sean. We truly appreciate yeah. it. And thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, the, the, the subject matter in and of itself, the title and uh, already seeing some of the different uh, iterations of humanity that you have. I mean, you're talking to students too, you know, and they're talking firsthand of what they're dealing with experts, et cetera. So, uh, thanks for having the courage and, and the wherewithal to make this available. All right. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate you. Thank you. That's it for today on Academic Survival. If you want to share your story on how you survived your freshman year of college, you can reach me at info at chandralmcdonald.com. We'll be back next week with more ways to survive your academic journey. Until then, happy studying.